Hello, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Canadian Netflix. I'm Dylan Clark-Moore, along with my illustrious co-host, back after her academic sabbatical. It's Caroline Deason. Oh, wow. That's really nice. It's the exact opposite of what I had, though. Well, you went off and did a sabbatical into academia. Right. It was a sabbatical from Netflix into academia. Right. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I'm, I'm very happy to be back. I was just excited that I got to fit the word sabbatical into... I felt like Ross. I was on sabbatical! <laughs> yeah, thanks. That's nice. I also, I, I also liked Illustrious. That was good, there too. There you go. Is there anything cool you've been watching on Netflix, Caroline? Before I talk about that, I wanted to talk about a movie that I watched last week. It was my congratulate myself for finishing my comprehensive exams movie. Um, our mutual friend since kindergarten Naomi lent me this film back in October I think and I haven't watched it yet it's called What We Do in the Shadows and I watched it on Thursday and I think I've watched it every day since then (laughs) it's one of those movies that you can just put on and see something different every time and enjoy every single time and it's amazing and I highly recommend it have you seen it yet you should I saw it on a bunch of like top 10 of the year it's so funny I really highly recommend it it's clever and funny and cute and Jermaine is just the best but also the other guy whose name escapes me right now but his vampire name is Viago is the most adorable person in the entire world. Yeah, it's very... If you're looking for adorable vampires... I think I was telling you, though, that... So I bought that on iTunes as, like, kind of being like, hey, I want to support this indie film. And so I own six movies on iTunes. Uh, One is What We Do in the Shadows. The other is Interview with the Vampire, because it was before they put it on Canadian Netflix. And the four others are all Christmas movies. So that's a pretty good profile for the type of movies that I'm interested in. Nostalgic Christmas movies and vampire movies. Nice. Yeah. But other than that, I've been watching Barbie Life in the Dreamhouse on Netflix Canada. And the reason I've been watching Barbie Life in the Dreamhouse is because I wrote a blog post about it that will be on our website by the time that this is live, right? Yep. Yeah. It's going on tomorrow. So it was out last Friday. So as we move through the time portal of yeah no kidding temporality just doesn't make any sense right. well the movie that we are here to talk about this week is from the year 2015 directed by alex garland nominated for two academy awards it's going to be coming up pretty soon uh one nomination for best original screenplay and another for best visual effects the movie that we are talking about is ex machina such a good movie <laughs> but before we get into it, I should let you know that today's episode of the Netflix podcast is brought to you in part by UnLondon's 121 Studios, London's premier digital media hub and co-working space. Visit 121studios.ca for more information. The ways that Netflix describes Ex Machina, first, when you hover over the title, it says, He was chosen to meet the company's reclusive founder, one of the world's greatest minds, and one of its most dangerous. Hmm. <laughs> okay. When you click on the title, the description changes to a coder at a tech company wins a week-long retreat at the compound of his company's CEO, where he's tasked with testing a new artificial intelligence. That seems kind of, you know, hypocritical there, where it's a week-long retreat, but he's got a task. It makes it kind of sound like he's going to a spa, but then he has a a job. But he's the one who has to give the massages. And then if you combine it with the other one where he's, you know, the most deadly or whatever, then that, that's an interesting movie. That's what I want to watch. 
That sounds like like a like a twelfth season Twilight Zone. <laughs> yes, it does. He had to give the massages. Write it down. We're we're gonna film that. The genres this movie belongs to, according to Netflix, are dramas, thrillers, psychological thrillers, and sci-fi thrillers. And the moods Netflix describes are cerebral and understated. Which I'd never seen before. Understated. Understated. Wow. I'm really curious now. I want to see. Yeah, what else is understated? It's a great question. <laughs> and and what's the what's the opposite genre? Overt. <laughs> it insists upon itself. Barbie life in the dream house, I would say. <laughs> Very understated. <laughs> Very understated. So uh why ex machina? Why you know, for you, why was this something that you wanted to talk about? I asked this really cute boy which of the list of movies you gave me I should choose. (laughs) (laughs) And he picked Ex Machina. (laughs) Was there any other reason you wanted to say for... (laughs) Um, No, okay, yeah. Actually, what I would like to explain is that I knew nothing about this movie other than the title and that the poster, because when Netflix brings it up with a poster, it had what looked like an android. So I actively attempt to avoid trailers. And in general, I don't see a lot of movies, current movies anyway, as I think we've talked about before. And I also never read those Netflix, those awful uh, preview, you know, sentences that you give at the beginning of the, the podcast. And that's... <laughs> don't you seem like I'm the one responsible for writing these. No, no, it's not you responsible for writing them, but it's you responsible for making me aware of them because I never <laughs> read them. And that's why whenever you read them to me, it's actually like a genuine reaction that I'm giving you of usually scoffing because <laughs> they're so terrible. Um, yeah, so I, I knew nothing about this movie and coming up to this podcast, I thought, well, maybe I should start like, you know, reading about it as I normally would do, but I hadn't seen it yet and I, I really wanted to be completely blown away and I was. Nice. Yeah. I loved the experience of watching this movie because I felt like it was, I, I don't know if it was that it felt like it was made for me or if it was just really well written or really well edited, but it kept happening that something would happen in a scene. I would think, yeah, but what about? And then in the next scene, they're like, and now we're addressing that issue that's, that's exactly, been like, that's exactly what I felt. Your mind. That's exactly what I felt. Right. So I don't know if there was just like a really good job of like planting those seeds or just being really intuitive in the way it's written and edited, but like I, it, that happened several times. I was watching the movie like uh, quite early on after the first time that he speaks that uh caleb speaks to ava um actually before i say that i just want to say like spoiler warning because like i'm oh, sure yeah. like we're, there, we're spoiling the fuck out of this movie yeah there is like really spoilery stuff that you will have a better time with this movie if you don't know anything about it going yeah. in so stop listening and go and watch this movie right now and then come back and listen great it's S- only an hour and 48 minutes which is also a huge bonus i love when movies are less than two hours long so uh like the one example is when Caleb and Nathan are talking and this is after Caleb's spoken to Ava for the first time and I was like isn't it kind of weird that he's like talking to this robot and I was like shouldn't this be like a blind test where where you know like he he doesn't know yeah why was he that he's testing a robot and then like next during the course of that conversation he's like hey uh shouldn't this be a blind (laughs) test and he's like no 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 here here's a bunch of reasons why and I was like ah Thank you, Ex Machina, for answering my questions. It's almost like it was a deus ex machina. Ooh. <laughs> but yeah, and like you are saying, you had the same experience, I right? I did. I did. I, uh, very often during... Okay, so I think that you probably recognize this in me so far. So the, the podcasts that we've done together are usually movies that I already really love, that I have some sort of nostalgic 
connection to um, and will defend vehemently against criticism, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> um, and usually when I watch new movies, I'm, I kind of go in, and when I say new, I mean like current movies, I kind of go in expecting to be disappointed and kind of with my arms crossed being like, impress me. <laughs> and I texted you 15 minutes into this movie and I was like, hey, I really like this. It can only go downhill from here, basically. Right. <laughs> um, and then I texted you at the end of the movie to explain that not only did I fucking love the whole thing, but also every time that I thought, yeah, that's pretty cool, but it would be cooler if they did this, the very next scene, they did that thing that I was like, it would be cooler if they did this every single time. So do you have an example? I do. I do have an example. <laughs> um, so that was one of them, the one where you're talking about like, you know, and and this is another thing too, a, a characteristic of Caroline in general, where I'm always trying to trying to figure it out right i always want to be the one who's like yeah but i knew that all along right like you know that that plot twist whatever i saw that coming a mile away so when he was he had that first conversation with ava i was all like yeah but this isn't even really a legit touring test because he's aware you know already going in that uh he's not speaking to an android or he's sorry he is speaking to an android and so she shouldn't be revealed as such to begin with right and then next conversation it's all about that and explains it away the next time it happened i think was when uh they start flirting it's i think the third or fourth conversation that they have when they start flirting with each other and when you know clearly he is very obviously into this android and i thought okay yeah sure i guess we have to add some sexuality to it don't we we just have to fucking make it about you know it has to be sexy they has they have to have some sort of relationship blah 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 very next scene he says to nathan why why does she have to be sexualized like why even give her a gender and i was like oh shit wait <laughs> wait and i sat up on the couch and i was like wait a minute movie okay fuck like you have my attention now we're gonna address this let's see let's see where it's going i totally pegged it as being like oh yeah there's this weird like romantic thing boy meets robot thing you know <laughs> like it's a total trope of the genre right yeah. to make her sexually appealing mm -hmm. but like not overtly like not like threateningly sexually sexual and then and then they addressed it and i was like oh shit okay yeah maybe this movie actually you know will end up impressing me yeah i made the joke earlier about the twilight zone um but i i honestly expected when i first started watching it because i was trying to do that i was trying to be smarter than it and i was like no no i know the rules <gasps> you were trying and, to be smarter than it <laughs> like i was trying to be smarter than it and i kept trying to be like I imagine there's got to be some kind of twist that happens here. So at first it was like, Nathan's a robot. <laughs> I was like, that's going to be the test all along. Because, yeah. you know, trying to come up with like the most clever I also, ending for the movie that I could. I just want to point out to our listeners that both times that Dylan and I have adopted this kind of like, I'm smarter than you uh, tone, we've both put our hands, our fists on our waist. <laughs> <laughs> like a petulant child. Exactly. Oh, man. But yes, exactly. Yeah. So my first thing was like, yeah, Nathan's a robot. He's a robot. You know, Caleb's a robot. Everybody's a robot. <laughs> right. But I did, I do want to say that I did peg Kyoko as a as an android, f like, way before the reveal. That oh, she I, don't, I don't think that it's meant to ever not be that. Really? You kind of know. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think she's a, I don't think, because she's not introduced as a as an android to Caleb or anything. No, but I think that she's, and, and she's, Caleb she's is... like, dehumanized right off the bat. And, like, there's obviously something really messed up about her. Right. But um, Caleb doesn't know, is what I'm saying doesn't he no because because when later on when you know he says like i figured there would be prototypes but he doesn't think that he thinks that uh ava is like the first one that is actually 
you know, See, I, I just kind of figured that Kyoko was just kind of like the maid robot who was just kind of like made in a simpler model with just like a pleasing form. Like I never pegged her as human because she's so dehumanized like right away. Yeah, but he explains the reason for that as being that she doesn't speak English. And then he says that and the the reason that I have someone who doesn't speak English is because I can talk about trade secrets. If everyone was aware that she was an android, he wouldn't have to say that because an android wouldn't go and share the trade secrets anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just it never even occurred to me that she wasn't. Okay, well, good an for you. An android. <laughs> I'm not sure why. <laughs> Hands back on hips. <laughs> good for you. Okay, well, knowing that she's a robot, then a robot Kyoko? android. Yeah, Kyoko. No, you have to say android. There's a very distinct difference. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Did they say either one in no, this movie? No, they uh, they don't say either. No, no they, they, they only about ref- artificial intelligence. Yeah, they only call her AI. So knowing that. I don't, I don't know if it's different for you having not, like, having a different experience of her going in, but she was a pretty troubling character pretty much right away. She was, but she totally fits into that whole Orientalism trope that we talked about when we talked about... Right, and yeah. that's, you know, that is really troubling. Right. Like, he doesn't, uh, in Nathan and programming her, he hasn't programmed her to speak English for the sake of trade secrets and everything like that, but she's a complex enough creature you know personality that pretty much right away we get the feeling that there's more going on under the surface and that nathan has really underestimated what she's capable of because she's seen kind of paying attention to things even if she doesn't have the ability to communicate you know the ability to communicate and she's seen kind of watching some of the screens and taking in what's going on and i'm also wondering like does she even speak japanese like is that the whole idea is that she has this language because nathan never even addresses her in Japanese it's not even clear that he has the language to be able to communicate with her I think which is an odd choice of programming for I actually think it's complete bullshit that she doesn't speak English I think she does and that she just knows that she's not supposed to talk right well that would make sense because he does need to be able to give her like cues in which case that's even worse because then when he's like yelling at her and belittling her like she's absorbing that and he's just being really careless about whatever feelings that he has yeah or she has well and, and then and remember too that ava says that she's born with language and i'm pretty sure that what that means is that she's programmed to be able to search google for language do you know what i mean or mm-hmm. sorry search blue book for language right. um and uh because uh wittgenstein the person who blue book is that's his blue book that they named blue book after was a philosopher and a linguist too so i think language is really important mm-hmm. i don't think i don't buy that kyoko can't speak can't understand what's happening and i think that that's made very evident when she opens her eyes while caleb is talking over the screen Mm -hmm. it was also really troubling that she becomes this outlet for nathan to vent all of these urges and really awful feelings that he has because nathan's obviously really torn up about what it is that's going on and like what it is that he's doing i think that he's he's troubled by what he's doing and he has over the course of doing what he's doing and progressing the science that he's working on to the point that it has, he's had to kind of compartmentalize and dehumanize these intelligences, kind of the more complex they get. It's easier for him to think less and less of the older models. And so for for Kyoko, she becomes this perpetual victim, this person who he can just yell at and abuse and just she's there to be sexually available to him at his whim and... I don't know, and he just he just like takes so much out on her, and she's just there as a plaything and as a toy, even though she's so much more complex than he gives her credit for. 
And he has to know that. Well, he does know it. I think that that's all part of his, you know, I think I think he's completely aware of the abuse that he's leveling on all of his creations. He doesn't care. I think that he's completely aware of that. And I think what makes him such an interesting character is that he... So this gets into what I'd like to talk about when it comes to the title. He sees himself as a very interesting, in my opinion, agent in this entire experiment. And so when he says he's got this, uh, when he he's telling Caleb that he shouldn't feel bad about killing an android, reprogramming an android, and he says, one day the AIs are going to look back on us the same way we look at fossil skeletons on the plains of Africa. An upright ape living in dust with crude language and tools all set for extinction. So basically, I, I, I take that to mean that he's saying that the androids are the next, he does say at some point, the androids are the next step in evolution. And Ray Kurzweil, who is a really famous futurist, are you familiar with his yeah. work? Yeah. Are you familiar with it because of Our Lady Peace? I'm familiar with it by way of the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, interesting. Okay, cool. So uh, in like 1990, I think he wrote um, uh, a book called The Age of Intelligent Machines. Our Lady Peace then later made uh, an album based on his, his other book called The Age of Spiritual Machines. That's something that was like right when we were, you know, like 13 yeah. years old or something. So I remember in grade eight, I did a speech that was one of his clips <laughs> from The Age of Spiritual Machines. The uh, the death gives meaning to uh, life speech was my grade eight speech. But anyway, so yeah, so th this has been a long time coming is what I'm saying. But in the 1990 book, Ray Kurzweil theorizes that evolution proves that humans can create a technology more intelligent than themselves. So not only does he agree with Nathan in saying that the AI is the next step in human evolution, but the very fact that human evolution exists proves that one day that's what will be achieved. And Nathan says something like that, that it's an inevitability. It was never a question of how or why. It was just a question of when. So there's also that really interesting part, kind of their first conversation at the beginning of the, of the movie, where... Caleb says something about how you're not talking about humans, you're talking about gods. And later, Nathan misquotes him, saying, you're not a human, you're a god, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're not talking about the stuff of, or the history of man, we're talking about the history of gods, yeah. Right. And then Nathan is like, yeah, you said, you're not a man, you're a god. And Caleb points out, no, I didn't, that's not actually what I said. But yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about what you, how you see Nathan as seeing himself what is his yeah. what is his role right so nathan is he's a complicated character and i've kind of apologized for him before i've explained anything that he does not <laughs> I that I, I think you were a little too easy on him really because <laughs> i i do see him dealing with his guilt about everything and i think that there's some complexity to like we're seeing him on the tail end of everything like he's already buried a lot of his like decency and humanity because of where he's ended up for his whole life he's been the smartest guy in the room and he's had to kind of do the next thing and develop the next big thing and he's that that celebrity ceo that we're always talking about and i, I talked about with uh claudio the chance of meatballs too a little while back you know that mark zuckerberg type you know he's he's that guy so he reached the point where he has more money than god he owns a plot of land so big you can be flying over it for two hours and not even know and all this ridiculousness but he's he's gone to the point where he figured out what kind of the next thing he could do was, which was create artificial intelligence. He figured out a way to do it. And there are huge moral implications to doing that. You know, the creation of life, taking responsibility for life, becoming a 
like a, I mean, we're going to talk about it more later, I'm sure, but like this kind of Promethean character where he creates life and curates it and allows it to, to grow. But by the way of the nature of, he, of him doing that, you know, there's, you know, there's version 1.0, there's version whatever, you know, he, he quips that, you know, we're up to version 9.7 at this point with Ava. You know, so there's been this destruction of life that's gone all the way along, you know, to kind of reformat the past and, and move forward. And he's, I'm sure at the beginning, that was a much harder decision for him than it is now that he's done this so many times. He's gotten to the point now that he has closets full of women. <laughs> and because he's had to dehumanize these people in order to kind of move on and create the next one and create the next one and having to kill them, he's, or I guess following whatever method he has, you know, by formatting them or, or what have you, he has dehumanized them, but he also recognizes that that is evil. And I think that's why he like... Why Why do you think that he recognizes that? And, or why do you think that it wasn't as easy at the beginning? I, I think I'm putting a lot of that into his drinking because I think okay. that he spends 50% of his day creating a narrative for himself where he is both responsible for the genius of creating it, but is also not morally responsible because it was something that was inevitable to happen. And therefore, if it wasn't me, it was going to be somebody else. So it might as well be me since I'm the, you know, the, the, the wonderkin or whatever it is. But then the rest of the time he's drinking himself into oblivion and you know, that like that's alcoholism on the one side, but that started somewhere and it probably started with, in my opinion, it started with like the numbing of pain and dealing with the dealing with the struggle of just like if I'm drunk, I'm not thinking about what this actually means and what this means for like my humanity and my decency. So that's that's the narrative that I've kind of crafted for him in my mind. And it fits. I mean, it makes sense. And I can kind of see where that works with him dehumanizing and treating these past models as dolls and playthings because it's easier to see them as dolls and play things rather than the corpses of intelligences that he's destroyed. I can see where you're coming from with that, for sure. I do not give him nearly as much credit as you do. <laughs> he's doing this for profit. He's really excited about how in a year from now, when you hear about this, you'll be sad that you you know didn't join up or anything like that. You know, this is the next thing that Blue Book is going to be doing. I explain his drinking as being the, you know, symptom of his incredible reclusivity and how he literally cannot have anybody around him that he didn't create. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. he has to feign a contest in order to get someone to come in and work with him on this. And I think that his ego is just so incredibly massive that that explains away any of the, you know, perhaps guilt that he might have. The drinking, I think, is just a symptom of his inability to cope with life. And the reason that I I say that is because he's also seems to be addicted to exercise. He kind of just does anything that wastes time. And none of it, I, I don't think, is necessarily a coping mechanism in that he feels bad about anything. I don't think he does. I don't think he feel, feels bad about what he's doing. And my kind of strong gut feeling for that is that if he did feel bad about what he was doing, he could have got someone to help him with this project to help, you know, temper any moral problems. Mm -hmm. that could go forward do you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i do and I'd li i liked what you said uh you know like the size of his ego and that's clear <laughs> that he has this enormous ego because as you said he more than once misrepresents things that caleb says in order to kind of aggrandize his own story yeah. and his own 
identity. And my my kind of last point for why I think that it's bullshit that he has ever felt bad about these people is that case study video that Caleb sees where and all of those case study videos that Caleb sees we have no idea how long ago those were mm-hmm. so I mean in in your narrative he potentially has more humanity still then but he treats those women worse right like those androids just as bad if not worse he could definitely shut down that one before she mutilates her body trying mm-hmm. to get out of that room do you know what I mean like yeah that's all in the past and that's all evidence for how he behaved in the past to these to these androids so no, yeah I, I disagree yeah that's yeah. fair <laughs> <laughs> it did speak to me that he was uh that he was doing that whole like forming of his own narrative and taking whatever everybody else was doing because he, he obviously is like this huge personality and this enormous ego and well, he, yeah and the, i mean caleb says that he invented blue book when or he wrote the code for blue book when he was 13 or something yeah that's like you know peak awful uh <laughs> hormones for boys right like that's like the worst time to, to stunt a boy's growth well you gotta fit, maybe that's why he wrote the internet he was like i've got to find stuff <laughs> no yeah i mean there's that but i'm saying that he he obviously probably got really famous right yeah and got incredible accolades and um everything he could possibly want and mm. emotionally stunted at yeah. the worst possible age yeah he's just he's so used to being right that he assumes that he's always right but i also wonder if it's gotten to the point that his ego is so large that he's able to just kind of by the nature of him misreading things but being powerful (laughs) that he ends up creating these artificial things into something real because he's just insistent on like well it must be true because i said it yeah he's surrounded by yes men basically yeah Yeah. in his company well yeah and i i also really liked so when he tries to explain to caleb or when he when he successfully tells caleb that the reason that he's there is because he's the best programmer in the company and you know he's legitimately won this contest and everything he's just he knows what he's doing he's feeding into caleb's ego so that caleb gets blinded and you know doesn't critically think about this as soon as caleb told ava that he has no family or girlfriend or anything i was like oh dude you were selected because no one will miss you (laughs) when you have to die at the end well let's talk about caleb for a bit then because i think one of the things that the film is really effective at is making you feel Caleb's point of view. Yes. Like it, it does an incredible job of that. And I think that speaks to that kind of insight that the movie has before where, you know, we're, we think of something that Caleb is thinking of and then Caleb speaks it out loud. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, he is the narrator almost without having to be a narrator. Yeah, one might say so. Because when he develops this sense of wonder about her, we're feeling that because we're seeing it for the first time and we start to kind of fall in love with her. <laughs> as he's starting to fall in love with her, like when she starts being flirty and everything. And then, you know, towards the end, when Nathan finally reveals after the second misdirect about why Caleb is actually there and where he just, he gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar in a really serious way of like violating non-disclosure agreements and like ripping off your boss and, you know, putting like basically poisoning him to steal his property. Like you feel that embarrassment and it's it's not even that he got caught that he's embarrassed about but it's that how easily he was manipulated and how easily he knows exactly you know when he sees how how easily he was played how easily he was manipulated exactly yeah, yeah. And, and then when he even clicks like did you did you use my pornography profile yeah. 
to create her face and Nathan doesn't deny it. Like he doesn't say, yes, that's yeah. exactly what we did. But okay. Can I just say though, when I look for porn, I definitely am not looking, you know, I'm not entering search results that are about, you know, what faces look like. That is the, not the determinant factor for where I'm, what I'm looking for when I look for porn. No, but I think that that speaks to the complexity of what Blue Book is capable of because it's not. Yeah. He's clicking on, on, on similar looking people. All right. The time. It's, yeah. it's like who's. So, so Blue Book saw that, okay, you click more on brunettes than you click on blondes. Right. Exactly. So, so it, it's not like there is a particular like ideal person, but right. based on your viewing habits, I think that, yeah, that, that just speaks to, I, I mean, like it. The whole thing is a big celebration of technology while it's also deeply fearful of technology. Yeah. Right? To the point of there's one little moment of world building that I uh, that I adored in it. Caleb in the movie uses a blue book smartphone. And I mean like that's my day job, so that's the kind of thing I pay attention to, but he has this phone that doesn't actually exist in the real world because this company blue book is like part Apple, part Google, like it's that's the whole idea. It represents these types of companies and it's just it has permeated so well that, you know, this really techie guy, that's the kind of phone that he chooses to use, right? Well, he probably also gets a company to Well, yeah, it's probably company mandated, but <laughs> but it's just like, yeah, it's in your smartphone. It's it's everywhere. And, you know, his face is being scanned at the very beginning and his face is still being scanned when he's in the guest room. Like, right. there's all this collection of information that's always happening. Well, actually, yeah, I think that that's, um, I mean, th that's made in incredibly overt when Kyoko just lets herself right into the room. Like, there's no privacy. There's not, there's no privacy in this house other than what, um, you know, Nathan has privacy because some of the rooms, you know, Caleb can't go in. But there's no privacy for Caleb. And I think that that's just, you know, a metaphor for how there's absolutely no privacy at all in this yeah. near future. And Nathan is really overt when he takes Caleb into, you know, the room where he created Ava where he talks about how I forget how it is that they introduce it but basically the idea is oh no it's when they're trying to when they're when he was trying to figure out how to make the brain work and I think it was maybe the language centers in particular where he says oh, it was facial movements that's what it was he where they really wanted to nail down facial movements for when you're communicating mm -hmm. and the way that they did that was he was like I just turned on all the cameras on all the smartphones and there's this dig at you know this this data collection that's happening where he says and nobody could complain about it because all the phone manufacturers in order to call me on it had to admit that they were doing it themselves right and that's where we're at now like we're you know you hear about i don't know what which parts are true and which parts are not so speaking speculatively yeah. for all of this allegedly you know like with the xbox connect that being on all the time and waiting for you to walk into the room and they say it's to you know sell you pizza if you're talking about pizza all the time but it's on all the time and it's watching you. Wait, I just really like the idea of someone like living alone and constantly talking aloud about pizza <laughs> until their connect is like, would you like a pizza? <laughs> or um, there's recently some big concerns about Fitbit, about what kind of information was being, Ooh. was, you know, going from your wrist to your phone and then where that information was going and coming from. And, you know, I'm only hearing about this kind of in passing, but you know, those kinds of concerns are real. Like mm -hmm. you, when we're giving these permissions to these apps and to these technologies, there's the, okay, here's what you tell me you're doing with it. But then there's this, this implication. It's the implication. Because of the implication. Because of the implication. <laughs> so yeah, it's these, these real world concerns. And the, the movie is very, it's very in tune with that. Like, I don't know if the same concerns are going to exist in 20 years, you know, when we're maybe on the other side of a lot of these privacy concerns. There was uh, something that Alex Garland said about the movie in terms of when the setting is. And he said it's basically 10 minutes from now. 
<laughs> because it's not it's not in the present because this technology doesn't exist yet. But if Apple or Google tomorrow were to announce that they had this technology, you'd be surprised, but you wouldn't really be that surprised. <laughs> right. So it's familiar, but it's not entirely familiar yet. One might say <laughs> One uncanny. One might say uncanny. That's right. Because, obviously, as soon as I knew that this movie was about androids, which is the only thing that I knew based on the poster... I knew that I would talk about The Uncanny. Uh, have I talked about The Uncanny before? Is that something? Nope. I talk about it all the time, so I'm surprised by that. But, so The Uncanny, for any of those who are not entirely familiar with it, because we kind of throw the word around when it doesn't actually mean what we think it means. So a lot of people will say, I saw someone that looked just like you, or this celebrity looks just like you. It's uncanny. And when they say that, what are they, what are they saying? Like, it's... It's hard to believe, or it's very similar. Right, it's very similar, as in like it's identical. There, we use it as a as a you know a synonym for identical. But uncanny doesn't actually mean that. Uncanny means that it's an unsettling familiarity. Okay, so your doppelganger in the world would be unsettlingly familiar to people who meet them, and if you meet them, you die. By the way. I don't know what happens to your doppelganger, but you die if you, if you meet your doppelganger. Well, am I not his doppelganger too? Yeah, but I, you'll have to ask some German person because I don't know I don't know what happens to the doppelganger, but I do know that you die. So, anyway, if I was having your this conversation with your doppelganger, they would die because I would be saying you die to them. You right. See? I am the authority. But speaking of German people, the German word for uncanny is unheimlich, which means unhomely, translated directly. And what that actually means is that it's something that is like our home but not, okay? And that's where we come from the familiar, not familiar definition of uncanny. And I really like thinking about the German definition of it when it comes to this movie, because it's incredibly, it all takes place in a home, and it's incredibly unsettling as soon as you get in because it's so claustrophobic. And even though Ava is part of this home, she and she's literally part of it, she can control it, she can't leave certain parts of it. So this is a home, but it's an unhome. And that's where the uncanniness comes in there. Yeah, there was a, a comparison that I read. I think it came from the filmmakers themselves where they were talking about kind of this space, like uh, Ava's home within the home, that she's got this, you know, as far as rooms go. Like if you're comparing uh, Caleb's space in that interview room, he's in this very small boxed-in room, like a like a little sound recording booth or something. And then she has free roam within this larger space but she's also the one who's confined within it, even even though she has these kind of like domestic things to like keep her placated and things yeah, and like that. Yeah, she has that weird window out into that courtyard, right? Mm-hmm. She doesn't have a she doesn't have a window out into the actual, you know, landscape. Right. It's a weird courtyard. Everything's very artificial for yeah. her. Yeah. So the comparison there was that like even though he's got the smaller space, she's the one who's trapped, even though she's in this bigger space and has free you know free reign to kind of move around within it. Yeah. But exactly. within these constraints, so. It's her home, but it's not a home because it's also a prison at the same time. And then he's almost like in a prison within this home, but he has the freedom to leave it. So Yeah, very unsettling. Very yeah, unheimlich. It, a lot of it is very unsettling. Yeah. And then so the more obvious comparison or the more obvious explanation of what's uncanny in this movie is the android. So in my comprehensive exams that I had last week that you alluded to at the beginning of our podcast, I in my oral exam, I brought up a book called Zone One which is a fantastic book that I 100% recommend to anybody, by the way. And it's about a zombie apocalypse. 
And in that oral exam, I talked about zombies in that book and said, and I talked about the uncanny, and I said that nothing's more uncanny than a zombie because zombies are us, but un-us, right? Right. Watching this movie, I'm not sure if I actually believe that anymore because clearly these androids are us, but then not us, right? Everything about an android, when it's done as well as Ava is done, is incredibly uncanny. And, you know, there's that term uncanny valley where it hits where this is uncomfortable for me because I can't tell if this is this is too lifelike. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This representation of humanity is too lifelike. And as a result, it's fucking with my sense of reality Mm -hmm. and I'm uncomfortable. And so there's this point in the uncanny valley where you can hit that and then keep going. And then if you keep going, then it's kind of hyper real and your brain is okay with that because it can distinguish that from reality again so clearly that's kind of in general what the turing test is too and so we talked a little bit about how caleb going in knows you know she's an android because she's exposed as one Mm -hmm. and i don't just mean that nathan exposes her as one i mean that like her parts are revealed exactly yeah her circuitry is revealed she reminded me of that (laughs) do you remember that like war amps uh commercial that used to be on when we were kids where it was like that that Android? I can reattach my eye. There you go. Yeah, yeah, Josh actually made reference to that in the uh, the Muppets episode no we way. just did. Yeah. Josh and I are so similar. Hi Josh. <laughs> I hope you're listening. <laughs> but then and then she and then she starts to to change so that she looks more human right. for him. And when she starts to look more look more human, that's when he becomes more at ease with her. Mm-hmm. And that's when he lets her guard down and we find out later that it was all manipulation in order to get him to let his guard down so that she could use him the way that um, she wanted to use him. Mm-hmm. Which, like, can I just say, was incredibly clever. I did not see that that second switch coming at all. That was fantastic. Yeah, and you want to... I mean, this is getting away from the uncanny, which I think we should come back to, but with Ava, you you want to root against her while it's happening because at that point you're still in Caleb's perspective. Right, you you see the betrayal, and you've seen him just be like a nice guy, <laughs> and he's trying, and he's doing everything that he can, and once again, he's been like he gets played twice. Yeah. He gets put into this situation did, did it kind to of, be a puppet. Did it kind of scare you when um <laughs> when uh, Nathan explains that the reason that they chose him was because they can see by his blue book searches that he's a good guy? Like he said, they said that you're a good. He, Nathan said you're a good person. That's why we chose you because you knew we knew that you would you know. You'd the, ride your, up on your white horse. And yeah, then, your morality yeah. would, you know, take the... What, what is someone searching that that shows that they're not a good person, right? Like, what is the comparison there? I don't know. Yeah, it freaks me out. He's not... He. It's just... His searches for, like, men's rights activist groups is at, like, a bare minimum. Right, So, yeah. so he's he's a decent Yeah, dude. you didn't cross the threshold of... <laughs> oh, God. You didn't ask for the pet shop. Ugh. Um... Yeah, so like you want to, you kind of want to root against her because you feel bad for Caleb, but you also like you Are have to. Are you talking to root... about at the very end? Yeah, I'm talking oh about at God. the very end, like, but because it's so horrific and because it's all happening in this like, okay, Dylan, this dark red and everything. But then you have to celebrate her. You have to be proud of her for for doing it and for pulling it off and playing this long con. Like she Kaiser Soze's everybody. And then she gets out and does exactly what she wants to do. I never for a second rooted against her. As as soon, especially as soon as she locked the door. And as soon as I realized what was going on when 
Caleb was locked into the facility, which is what he said that they would do to Nathan, I had my arms above my head cheering, yes, Ava, that's awesome, yes. Right, and, and that's I what I was saying. I was never that, like, cheering against her that I, I That I wasn't cheering against her. I wanted to because I felt bad for Caleb. Uh, and I think that the movie kind of takes you on that trip too because especially with the music because when she's escaping um after she's kind of just been like hey can you just stay here for a sec i need to go deal with something when she's putting her skin on as soon as caleb realizes what's happening the mu- the music starts doing this this awful like crushing sound and it's like his heart is being crushed into tiny little pieces and you know everything's red and awful and he's desperate and freaking out but then as soon as she gets outside, everything is serene and perfect and beautiful. And you're like, hey, man, like, <laughs> you do you, girl. Like, you <laughs> you go live that life. And you get that that uplifting but also kind of terrifying moment where you, you realize that, you know, just like any good manipulation, there's elements of truth to it. Because the first thing that she does when she gets out into the real world is she goes to a busy traffic, a busy populated area Mm -hmm. because that's where she can see the most of humanity kind of rattling all together. But pretty quickly, she's like, okay, now I've seen it. So what's next? Now the whole world is at her disposal and she has this this secret that that nobody else knows. And, you know, and we've seen her be capable of some really intense forms of manipulation and she's only known humanity to be either cruel or a tool of cruelty. So Mm -hmm. it's worrisome to see what you know what she does next <laughs> i don't know i still don't think it's worrisome i think it's awesome i'm really excited about her and i hope that um i hope that one day she goes back to get all the other androids and just take over takes over the planet but the my reason my reason for thinking that caleb is a tool and not caring about him and not being sad that you know he dies apparently <laughs> um is that i am of the belief that he would not care nearly as much about these androids or specific, he would not care as much about Ava because that's the that's the thing he doesn't actually care about the androids he only cares about Ava he would not care about her if he didn't have feelings for her yeah and he I mean he kind of points at that when he says you know why give them sexuality mm-hmm. you know it could have just been a gray box and if it had been a gray box he would have been able to you know not have feelings if it had been someone who he wasn't attracted to I don't think he would have cared nearly as much if, right. you know, it was deprogrammed or anything like that. So that's why I think he's a piece of shit because all of his, you know, as you called it, knight in shining armor or what did you call it? White, white knighting. But all of his knight in shining armor is just, you know, his own feelings getting the best of him and not actually this morality. Um, I, I don't think he deserved to, to have a hero's ending. No, and I don't, I mean, it's not like they would have had a life together or anything. Like as they were planning their escape, I was like, that's gonna go how now <laughs> that's this is like you're not you're not living in the suburbs here this is not a this is not a future that yeah. you're capable of keeping up with like we know you to be a tool so yeah. well and that's the thing too is like what is that saying about these because these these are real people you know like the these these nathans and these calebs who have known nothing except for being complete nerds their whole life these are real people right mm-hmm. and that's that's my reaction to these real people i I'm fine with them dying because I think they're both dicks. What does that say about these real people in the real world? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I guess what what I'm asking more is, what does this say about nerd culture? What what do these two antiheroes or just villain and antihero, what do they say about nerd culture? What does the fact that they both end up dead in pathetic ways <laughs> say about these types of people? Well, it's not gentle. I mean, it's it's 
I guess it is kind of playing more into the stereotype than I realized of kind of like these kind of the intellectual bro that it's like, no, no, like we're not, we're not like, well, I guess the one guy is a gym jock too, but you know, like it's, yeah, their relationship with women is kind of troubling and like they're very wrapped up in their own identity based on their abilities with technology and things like that. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's a trope in, in all sorts of movies, comics, um, whether it's being satirical or not, where nerds who cannot deign to interact properly with human women will make their own robot women. Right, so like that the weird can... science thing. or yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. And at the beginning of the movie, I was all suspect about why this had to be a girl, you know, why why it had why the android had, had to be a girl, and then that's when the whole thing came up where I was like, oh, of course there's a sexual subplot, but mm. then the movie addressed that. But at the end of the movie, like I said, I was literally cheering because she leaves them both in the dust. And so it was so much better that it was a girl conquering these two different, very different representatives of nerd culture, mm-hmm. as as you said. And I do, like, I don't want to say that I wasn't on Caleb's side at the beginning. I was very, I was pretty much, I mean, Nathan is an intriguing character, but you knew right away that he's something... Pretty, yeah, he's pretty contemptible, pretty yeah, much right exactly. away. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so you're on Caleb's side for a while, but then... As soon as I saw Caleb falling for her, I was just kind of like, uh, you know, I'm going to chalk this up to the fact that you're clearly a very lonely person. You don't have a lot going on in your life. But do you not see what's happening? <laughs> like, do you not see how manipulative this is? Whether or not whether or not you even suspect that anything is that there's an ulterior motive, you've talked to her for two days. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you 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 need to be better at social interaction. And that's and that's that's where I'm landing with this is that that's my commentary or what what I think the commentary is on nerd culture is that social interaction for these people, for these men is so warped that he sees her as a one dimensional figure when the funny part, I think, is, is that he has been told that she is not a one dimensional figure. And I mean that in like he has basically seen the code showing that she's not a one-dimensional figure but as soon as he starts getting feelings for her he doesn't care about anything else he abandons like the entire turing test he's just so kind of one you know one one track mind about i have this crush on her does she really like me blah 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 and that's where i think that it's you know i have no i have no sympathy for him and where i think it's a commentary on an inability to see women as complex people right but isn't that a thing that happens when well, first of all when you become interested in somebody there's tunnel vision that they kind of become primarily what you think about and i mean he's still getting to know her and everything that she's feeding him is you know cute and flirtatious and things like that and i think that he's impressed by how human she seems she's doing that because she knows that that's what he wants like she's manipulating him right i just i just don't see where he's failing in that because like, it's no longer he's no longer seeing her as the it, it, right from the beginning where he's like she's fucking amazing right you mm-hmm. know that's like his first thought pattern or right whatever. but at that point he's seeing her as a technological accomplishment that's before he started to see her as a person no i'm i'm <laughs> this is this is kind of what i mean is that i mean it, the fact that he points out at the end did you get her face from my porn por- profile or whatever mm-hmm. he she was designed and had the effect of you know turning on a specific part of his brain from day one Okay. from the initial encounter. And what I'm trying to say is that the commentary that I'm reading from this is the idea of men 
seeing women as an android created in order to please them. And that's, and he asks that specifically. He's like, was she programmed to flirt with me? And told, no, she wasn't programmed to flirt with you. And that is the truth, that she's not programmed specifically to flirt with Caleb or anything. She's programmed to be heterosexual. And she's pro and she's given uh, the ultimatum, I guess, to manipulate him. Mm-hmm. And she knows, she is able to distinguish from his facial patterns, I'm assuming, that he is weak to her being flirty, mm-hmm. right? So she starts ma- manipulating him from the very first day. And that's why I, I do think that the reason that he says she's fucking amazing is because the crush is already starting to okay. to start up there. Where Where he's failing, I guess, is what I'm saying, is that I don't think that necessarily he is failing so much as that it's a commentary on the idea that there is this incredibly weird power power dynamic between the two of them right we're not talking about co-workers who meet and or like you meet someone in a coffee shop or something like that and you Mm -hmm. think that they're cool and you start flirting and then you're like get butterflies or anything like that he knows right from the beginning that this is a strange relationship right that he's got he's in a position of power over her Mm -hmm. and as a result instead of doing the job that he was assigned to do like it's all clouded in his mind about anything else that could be interesting for her right not get and i don't really think that he is getting to know her at all like he you know she asks him some things about himself and then he uh you'll you'll notice if you watch it again if you watch all of their conversations again it becomes much more about him being like okay uh just you know turn off the turn off the power so we can talk right Mm -hmm. like really quickly because it's getting he's getting much more and more worried about what's going to happen to her Right. And at first I was like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. You know, you don't want to you don't want this person to die because you've formed an attachment to them and you think that they can suffer and as a result, you know, you feel bad. Sorry. The the thing you can they can suffer is what I originally thought that he, you know, was upset about, but then now I realize that it's this form this attachment. And the reason that I think all of this is that if Ava did not also think the same way I did, in that she just was like dude of course you're into me because i'm doing everything possible in order to you know play right into i'm 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 the woman on the pedestal for -hmm. you at this point because i designed myself to be that way if she didn't feel that way about him and she actually thought that he was a you know a worthy person and actually cared about her at all as a complex personality she wouldn't have let him die at the end yeah i i I mean i think that could have also been a a self-preservation thing because if she had let him out then he could have told people like listen she's a robot because she's going to go out into the world right sure but i think that you know the the level of manipulation that she has on him you know they would have at least had that conversation or something yeah it's it's a violent ending Mm -hmm. and i think that the reason that it's so violent is we're meant to look at just how fake she was being this whole time she did not mean any of this right and i and i think that that that's kind of what was so scary for me was that she was capable of this this long game i want to kind of dial back to something you said earlier that i think is quite poignant just to make sure that i kind of understand what what you meant by it and it it seems like you were saying that ava by proxy is in a lot of cases how men of this kind of nerd culture just treat all women that you know there's this ignoring of the difference of power and things like that and it's just playing into his fantasy yeah and that and that he sees a type so he sees a type and not a person right okay and once and and that's because she is playing to be this type she's doing everything that she thinks that he would like 
based on all of the algorithms that he she is has access to right and also just based on the things the clues that she gets from him yeah and so yeah i think that 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 is representative of anyone who who typifies someone and you know doesn't doesn't fall for the real person and just falls for what that person represents to them and what that person has the potential of being to them and that's that's yeah i th- I think that that's a, a real subtext in this movie yeah is... i think I, I guess for me that there's a couple of kind of blurrinesses to that one because i don't know how different from just all relationships that is that you know like it starts off with initial attraction and then as your lives get more interwoven the connections get stronger and stronger as you get to know each other but at first like every relationship is quite superficial when you've got somebody who's actively feeding into it and you can't really blame the person for having all of their of like course, but Dylan, their dreams confirmed a regular relationship is something where you're like hey i've met this person they're a human being and at some point we could get together and have a relationship right Kayla, there, there isn't this like massive exactly. power and exactly. other divide not, yeah not just the power but also like caleb has gone here for a week there is absolutely no reason why he should think that he will, you know, wife this robot, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like it's it, it, the the exaggeration of how blind he is completely, you know, it goes above and beyond any sort of butterflies that you get with new relationship energy. Right. Well, I, except that his whole point for being here is, and I think you've already answered this, but I just want to kind of confirm that this is how I saw it, that there is this ticking clock that he learns about halfway through this experiment that regardless of whether she passes or fails, she's dead. She's going to be killed because to Caleb as complex and how as impressive as sorry to Nathan, as complex as she is, it's over. It's finito. So then the, those impulses for him, they get kind of, I don't know. It all, it, it all gets compressed, right? Because all of a sudden there's an end date and it's not just an end. It's like, if you have these inklings of feelings that maybe haven't taken a very deep or very real route, like if you find somebody and you have your meat cute with the, you know, the, the implications of one of them being trapped inside of a cage, removing that for a second, if you have that moment, then you're like, Oh yeah. And that person's going to be killed in five days. Like that's, that's got to do something to you. That's got to trigger some kind of protective instinct. I guess what I'm saying is that it's the whole Romeo and Juliet falling in love and you know being dead in three days Mm -hmm. that's that that's what i don't buy i just i well okay it's not that i don't buy it that's done for a specific reason like shakespeare specifically did it so that you would be like why would these people die over each other when they've only known each other for three days the the reason is because they're 13 and 14 years old and that's how relationships go when you're 13 and 14 you get the surge of you know this is the most important thing on the planet and i am going to die for it right a 26-year-old real person who, you know, is mature and has some sort of understanding of how the world works, even in a really weird situation like this, who has come here to meet an android, and especially a programmer who should be able to at least understand that, you know, this is something that is bigger than me, mm-hmm. right? Shouldn't have a Romeo and Juliet reaction to that. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that's why I think... Because the movie could have done differently. The movie could have done where he tries. Because it's it's very, um, it's very black and white. What happens? He could have he could have tried to appeal to Nathan and convince him that hey, how about instead of you know wiping the data or whatever, we just download it onto this hard drive, right? And then when everything's better, when the technology is advanced, she will live again. Type of thing. He doesn't yeah. do that. He immediately goes he to starts scheming. And, yeah. yeah, 
So, but he's also just gotten some pretty big signs that you know that's when he's discovered all this other, you know, footage and he's discovered the the android sex nest and things like that. So he doesn't have a very positive opinion right. of of the ability to appeal to Nathan's humanity. But he should also be extremely scared of Nathan. Mm-hmm. Like, w- would you see all that and see this guy pumping iron twenty four seven and be like, <laughs> me tiny? You know, I can't pronounce the actor's name whatsoever, but me, tiny, tiny Caleb, who's like 80 pounds wet, I'm going to be able to escape this fortress that I can't even fucking, you know, get to the bathroom without being watched. Like, it's, it's, he's, he's nuts. He's blind. He's lost his entire mind for that. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say that obviously you don't feel like that when you fall in love with someone. I am trying to say that normal people wouldn't do something as rash as that. Okay. Sure. And I also am saying that clearly the time constraint of this whole experiment and everything you know could excuse some sort of i need to do something rash in order to save yeah. this woman that i've fallen in love with and is that kind of what you're saying yeah i think that it, it expedites it it's like you you realize it's two days before the last day of camp and you haven't told the girl you like that you have a crush on her right yet. like you gotta do something now yeah and i'm saying that that just proves my point more where if caleb wasn't you know a guy who thinks that this girl needs his help to be saved and that i'm going to be the one to do it he would think of her more as you know this is morally wrong this is a real person with a real conscious and i'm going to do the best i can not because i'm in love with her but because that's the right thing to do right do you see what i'm saying Mm -hmm. but because he has idolized her as this wonderful specific woman Mm -hmm. and not just this amazing technology that is a has approached life to a point that I, th- I see this as murder. That's where I'm thinking that it is a commentary on putting women on a pedestal. Okay, so he should see this as a crime against a life as opposed to he's motivated- somebody attacking his girlfriend. Right, just just gotcha. like you said, okay. he's motivated by this this infatuation yeah. and not by, uh, you know, an actual, like, moral compass yeah. to do do right by her. Yeah, And I think that that's, you know... That I think my point is proven when at the end she's like, like, nuts to you, dude. Thanks a lot. Thanks for all your meat sack abilities. I'm gone now. Yeah. Right? It it doesn't end with like them riding off into the sunset. Right. And there's, yeah, there's no question that she's using him and that she's kind of superior to that because she's aware of all of it and he's unable. Well, I mean, he kind of recognizes that it's happening because he puts the questions to Nathan, like, is was this designed for me? Like, I'm having these feelings. Did yeah. you do this to me? Yeah. Not it it has a lifetime of n- <laughs> nerd and weird masculine indoctrination done this yeah. to me. Is have you programmed this woman to be about me? Yeah, and that's what that's like so Nathan or sorry, so Caleb is the nice guy who then doesn't have the girl you know, repay him for his niceness. The nice guy does things because he wants attention from the girl, not because he's actually nice. Yeah. And that's what I think that this is a commentary on. That's what I think Caleb's character is. Yeah. It was, I feel like there's almost like a cruelty to the punishment that outweighs that. Like there's there's Nathan dying is 100% appropriate and dies in very poetic ways. What does he say when he's walking down the hallway? He's like, he's like walking down the hallway with the knife in his gut and he's like, uh okay or something. Um so I'm fine with him dying the way that he does. Mm-hmm. It's just like Caleb should be accountable for his own actions and you know like check yourself, look at your, you know, look at your life and everything like that. <laughs> look at your life, look at your choices. Exactly. <laughs> Another thing that Josh said I'd never heard really? before. Yeah. Ah. 
You guys need Josh, to talk more. We do. We do. Or uh, less, apparently. <laughs> you can just, I'll be your proxy. I get, and maybe it's because, like, when we talk about, like, male nerd culture, I'm sitting here like, hi. <laughs> you know, p- part of it is just, like, association. Just like, hey, you don't have to. But, yeah, but like, you know I do, Dylan. His, you know I always will be the one to yeah, tell you that. But his, <laughs> we don't even see him die. We know that he he's going to die of starvation unless he finds a way to, like, kill himself because he knows there's no means of escape for for what's happened you know well he's already found a, a way to kill himself right where he chooses the worst possible area of his body to cut open to see if he's a cyborg <laughs> jeez big old dum-dum <laughs> um but yeah it was just i get i get why she had to leave him behind i get that like for the sake of the story we had to see that she's like and now i'm done like you've served your purpose and i'm done with you plus no loose ends and and i can move on with my life i just like if he's supposed to be a stand-in for, like, the faults of male nerd culture, he's not the one who's saying, like, well, girls didn't like me, so I'm going to go and do harm to girls because they're... Like, he's he's trying, and he's got this I think, genuine... I think, that's, I think you're pointing at exactly what makes that nice guy culture so insidious, is that you can kind of explain away the ones who are not so bad at it. Yeah. But the the thing is, is that when it's really bad and overt and you get those screenshots of Facebook comments that are just terrible, 99 people out of 100 are going to agree with you that, oh yeah, that guy's a dick. But then 99 of those, you know, if they're all men, 99 of those men, probably like, I'm going to say, you know, 97 of those men have done something that is just as insidious and just as sexist. Mm-hmm. But they don't see it as such. So maybe that's just me not seeing it yet. Mm-hmm. And like kind of being like, I'm probably part of the problem if that's the case. And I just don't, I don't know, still learning to see it that way. Right. And I think that this movie, in a very subtle way, obviously, is trying to put forth that we need to talk about this weird pedestal putting, um, you know, savior complex that men have for women. Okay. That's what I, that's, I'm I'm reading that as one of the commentaries that this movie is trying to make all right yeah. i like it yeah there we go yeah I learned something about myself today that's right yeah you did something i really liked about ava just to take this in a whole different direction is or honestly the same direction is a lot of the times when you have the android like i'm thinking of data from star trek for instance you have a heightened intellect and you have and and we get that with ava too like she has she has different intellectual capabilities than a regular human w- would and she's just using those to replicate humanity for the sake of fitting in. But with data and with other androids and things like that, there's usually some kind of well, because you you know you're powered by hydraulics and things like that. You were you well, like visually you can tell. Well, is not even visually that you can tell. I what I what I was getting to is that usually there's some kind of hint of like super strength or some oh, other yes. kind of superpower yeah. mm-hmm. that like oh well I can lift the door for you and it's like oh isn't it handy having a robot around right but because Ava and the rest of these always female, always thin, <laughs> physically attractive by yeah. Nathan's standards, women, they're also, they're not frail, but like they have physical, like they they don't have that super robot strength, right? Like they're, when she... They're not able to overpower him. Right, exactly. And, you know, there's, <laughs> yeah, that's a really important way of putting it because that's the only time we see it happen is Nathan grappling with her. So, you know, that 
could be a safety guard that could be just trying to replicate a real person because they are able to kind of like be rough and tumble with like she's able to kind of flip him over but one of them isn't necessarily completely overpowering the other like she has very human limitations when it comes to her strength and things like that which makes kind of the the fearsome power of her intellect all the more terrifying well i did notice that when both she and kyoko stab nathan did, did you notice how the knife how goes just in easily so it goes fluidly? In. Yeah. Right. Like, and I think that like that was more of like a knife through butter. Right. And I think that that was more of a, I know to not hit a bone because I'm just like, I'm like calculating where exactly it needs to go. Oh, interesting. I rather saw that than as a super strength, strength thing. Well, and the, the reason I didn't see super strength was because, you know, like the, the one girl is able to break a bit of glass with like after punching the glass a few times, but like when they're wrestling, yeah, as if it's something playful. But when but, Ava and Nathan are fighting against each other. But don't you think that, I see. I thought I, I I saw it as Ava is just distracting Nathan. She knows that Kyoko is coming over with the knife. I guess and, that could and be. she she didn't want to overpower him at that point. She wanted him to stand back up so that Kyoko could get him in the back with the knife. To yeah, the hot tag to Kyoko. Yeah, yeah. I really because <laughs> she knows right. Like they they remember they have that conversation that looks like yeah. they're about to make out. Yeah, I think she's saying okay, I'm gonna you know, uh, distract him for a while. You come over while like when when I let him up come mm-hmm. over and um stab him in the back I, th- I think that's on purpose oh that's interesting yeah and i can't really think right now about anything else of anything else that would indicate that they don't actually have an incredible amount of strength i think that it's manipulation but i could also see nathan specifically knowing what he eventually does with the previous models in that he turns them into sex puppets essentially that he wouldn't want like he'd probably want a robot that could choke him but not one that could fight back like he he would need to always be able to be in control right which i mean maybe that's why he's constantly working out as well he needs yeah. to, he needs to be able to, to keep over, up with his robots yeah he needs to overpower Androids, these robots sorry. yeah speaking of the stabbing there's the i mentioned before the whole prometheus thing mm, the, yeah, uh, and which he yells while he's drunk is promethean right yeah awful self-aggrandizement uh this isn't me this is just uh honestly off the imdb trivia page but the the Promethean comparison in dealing with, well, I mean, specifically Prometheus's punishment is that he's like strapped to the mountain and then the buzzard comes and... It's a vulture. A, a vulture. vulture comes and eats his liver and it regenerates right. every day. Right. It would suck. So keeping that metaphor going or that illusion going, the whole idea that Nathan is destroying his own liver with his drinking and then Kyoko finishes off his liver and that's where she stabs him oh, when she stabs him in the back she like goes mm. she doesn't stab him in the heart like like ava does because ava just knife through knife through or hot knife through butter like you said but yeah she gives it to him right in the oh, right in the liver in the back right yeah so that, that it's fantastic. a it's a constant it's a constant punishment but then yeah that's where it finishes off mm-hmm. interesting yeah i like that well speaking about greek myth that calls to mind the title again, which I kind of brought up at the beginning. Yeah, so that's that's where the title comes from. Is the the it's a Greek phrase actually that we now that we use the Latin for Deus ex machina is Latin for God from the machine. So ex is like from the or away from, and Deus is God and machina, we're translating as machine, and it comes from a Greek word that means that looked a lot more similar to machine, but machine doesn't mean the same thing. M- machine, as that's being used as we think of machines, didn't start being used that way until medieval times. And even then, it wasn't what we really think of as machines, which only really showed up in the 18th century. So the machine that it's referring to is the Greek word machine. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And that specifically means this type of kind of pulley system or crane 
that would lower an actor into a Greek drama kind of from the sky. And so this actor would be lowered down and usually the character that this actor would be playing is a god. And the whole point to, so that's where the phrase comes from, deus ex machina, god from the machine comes down. And the, what the phrase connotes now in literary studies is when something like a god comes down and just ties up all the loose ends and, or actually doesn't tie up the loose ends, ignores all the loose ends and just fixes everything, wraps it all up in a nice little a package. little yeah, package. Yeah, there, there you go. Well, isn't that all wrapped up in a neat little package? Exactly. There's another, a really good example, I think, is, I mean, there's there's a couple of examples that I have off the top of my head where if you've read the chrysalids, did you ever have to read the chrysalids? No. The one that we always talked about in high school was with Lord of the Flies. I see. I read the chrysalids, not Lord of the Flies. Okay. So. <laughs> Um, anyway, so scrap those all together and use something that I do know that you know, but it is the, the Lord of the Flies, the Simpsons episode, where at the end the narrator's like, and then they were rescued by, oh, I don't know, let's say Mo. Right. Right? Is that is that pretty much what happens in Lord of the Flies? They're just rescued by someone? Right. Like, as everything's about, like, as the shit's totally about to hit the fan, like, the army shows up and rescues them all. And, like, everything yeah. is left completely unresolved. Yeah, and yeah. Like, now let's go home. In the chrysalids, literally, like, a giant spaceship comes down from the sky and is like, don't worry, kids, we've got you, and saves them. Like, it's the spaceship. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the deus ex machina. So you've painted yourself into a corner plot-wise. You cannot figure out how your characters can save themselves. God has to come down from his cloud, or in Greek mythology, her cloud, whatever, whichever God it is that's feeling benevolent at that point, <laughs> and, uh, you know, makes everything right again. So, when it comes to the, the phrase ex machina, when it's just from the machine, I want to talk about what that means. So, why, why, why is it called from the machine? It's never referred to in the movie. Because I think that it's important. I, I mean, obviously, ex machina, if you just were to translate it, if you were just looking for a cool Latin phrase, from the machine, fine. But I do think that calling it calls to mind the idea of deus ex machina and the conspicuous absence of God from the title. Well, I think that it's, I mean, just the speaking of the conspicuous, conspicuous absence of God, I think it's interesting with regards with what happens to Nathan because he calls himself God. Exactly. So that that's what I mean. He says, like, I am God. And then the machine comes along and says well i don't i don't i don't need that anymore exactly. the pulley system can run the show whether or not there's somebody riding on top of it right yeah and so i mean we are meant to think about it because the first conversation that they have like i said is about god and when uh then you know later nathan misquotes caleb as saying that you called me god basically and then the other time that he quotes something is that oppenheimer quote where you know nathan is like you know i'm not as ignorant as you think I am which I I found funny I also found that it was and when we were talking this is just an aside but as we were talking about Caleb being the narrator Caleb does kind of think that Nathan is you know not as well read or whatever as as Caleb is and that's why he kind of is like yeah no that's an Oppenheimer quote and you know when he is explaining it to him kind of pedantically and then we see this reveal of of Nathan being like, you know, no, I know what that is. Like, but he's not even a dick about it. He's just kind of, I know what that is. There's so much we don't know about Nathan. Do you know what I mean? And Caleb has pinned him as someone. And that's why he's completely blindsided at the end. Like, right. he does not expect any of that to have happened. Right. And I think that that's, you know, Nathan's giving that to him, right? Nathan is specifically, like, Nathan's smart enough to know that he's misquoting Oh, for sure. What Caleb has been saying. Oh, definitely. And then Caleb just sees this guy being clueless and being like, oh, like you're you're wrapped up enough that you're hearing what you want to hear. So I just want to make sure that I'm not 
taking credit for <laughs> for what you're saying here. Yeah. Like if you're gonna misquote me, at like at least misquote Oppenheimer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But no. But I think that 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 shows to you know we have we have to remember that the first time they've ever met was that first day, right? The first day that we met yeah. both of them, right? So there's so much that that Caleb doesn't know about Nathan, and you know, and how uh, un, uncanny that must be for him too, how unsettling and unfamiliar that must be for him as well. But then, like you said, at the end, the the machina, if we're using the word machine, is the one that becomes God. If you're thinking of the idea that God is something that creates and destroys, right? Mm. So, so Ava chooses who lives and who dies in that situation, right? Mm-hmm. Who is the machine in this movie, and then who is the God as well? And what happens when God comes from the machine, as in God comes out of the machine, right? Mm-hmm. When, when effectively, when when Ava leaves that that confine of that building, she's no longer a machine. For all intents and purposes, she's a human being outside of that confine. No one else knows, right? right? But she she's also omniscient, right? Like she has access to all the world's knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And omniscience, omniscience, is a quality of God, right? Yeah. She's omnipotent in that. I think she has super strength, but even beyond that, even if you don't think that, she has just like killed two people, right? She has shown this power that she not only has she killed two people because we have to remember that she orchestrated the whole ability to escape and everything as well, right? Like she manipulated uh, Caleb into letting that happen. Mm-hmm. It was it wasn't as if she got a lucky break, right? She was behind all of that, so she's omnipotent as well. I'm not exactly sure what its relationship is with the concept of godliness altogether like i agree that by the end ava is you know like a god among us but you know early on they talk about how again misquoting caleb which he would get frustrated by but he can't hear me because he's he's in a compound don't worry about him but i mean nathan is presented basically as a god because he is ushering in this new form of life he is the creator right he is creating life yeah and he has decided who lives and who dies at that point so he is a god, and that's seen as a thing that's great and wonderful, I guess, until, you know, he's revealed to be a shit. But, you know, that's great and powerful. But then at the same time, there's this concurrent mythology, I guess, that the whole point of creating this new life is to surpass the life that created it. So it's god and man, but it's also the son will kill the father at the same time as if you become a god by killing your god and then you keep moving it on so it's like de-evolution at the same time is evolving where you're kind of passing godliness down through the generations so that's also a greek myth where cronus had to kill his father uranus um, in order to assume his power so if you're thinking about metaphorically speaking where the ai will kill their father which is humanity in order to take over their power i think that, i mean I think it makes sense to draw that parallel because there's two other greek references mm-hmm. in this tragedy in this greek <laughs> tragedy but yeah i don't know i think i think i haven't i haven't thought it out too much other than that i think that the the conspicuous absence of god in the title mirrors the conspicuous absence of god in the story in that never at any point do, do nathan and caleb ask like is this right morally they might be asking it to themselves you think that nathan is grappling with that himself Mm -hmm. and you also give caleb some credit in thinking that he doesn't just want to save ava because he wants to get his dick cyber wet but (laughs) 
<laughs> Come on. I had to. <laughs> I, d- I did appreciate that with Nathan when he was talking about Ava's sexuality, that he like he programmed her with the ability to feel pleasure as well. Like it wasn't just about like, yes, she has holes and it offers lubrication. It's like she has pleasure points. And if you figure out the sequence and everything that it's possible to give her pleasure as well. Right. I thought that was, I mean, it's not a, a necessary thing to program in there, Do right? Do you believe him? I. Wouldn't that be a great motivator for Caleb to hear that? It would be. It's, I don't know. I, it's tough to know what to speculate with Nathan about what he's saying that's true and what's not, because as I've said, like, you know, the best way to lie is to cloud it in truth. And, you know, I think that for Nathan, I imagine that there would be times where it would be important for him to, to feel like he was pleasuring these androids. Even if it was just a question of him figuring out the cheat codes to do the awesome fatalities. Like even if he just saw it as an accomplishment of his own masculinity rather than actually for the sake of providing pleasure to his partner right yeah i i I mean i'm willing to believe that i'm not willing to believe that it's cool that he programmed them to be able to feel pleasure do you know what i mean like i don't think it's a charitable thing Uh, and i do think that i had it for a second (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i think it's fantastic motivation and i think that it's very um you know telling that he says let me answer the question that you've got or something right yeah that's another time where he's saying he's telling somebody what they're thinking and he's like no that's that's not what i'm thinking but but clearly that i mean he has thought about that and that now he's now caleb has thought about i'm wondering i wonder if i can have sex with her right like i caleb has thought that and now he knows in the back of his mind oh great if we do have sex, it's actually, you know, not a horrible thing. You know, she will enjoy right. it as I'm well. Right, I'm not just humping a lamp, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and the way that he denies that that's the question that he had, clearly it wasn't the question he was going to ask, but he gets kind of impetuous about the fact that, oh, I would never be thinking about that. But yeah, he is. We know that. We know that he is. The first thing, everybody was thinking that immediately, obviously. <laughs> That, okay, you weren't thinking that obviously the fact that this is a, 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 an attractively designed woman, you didn't you didn't assume that that means that at some point probably someone is going to think about having sex with this android. I it honestly did not occur to me until he brought up that it was possible, and I was like, "Hey, neat." Really? So yeah. even so, even when Caleb was like, "Why give her sexuality?" That was the first time that you thought about that. I I had thought about it in terms of, like, personality and persuasion. I hadn't really thought about it in terms of, like, her actually having sexual agency. I thought about it, like, on an emotional level, but I didn't see it as... You mean, like, a a physical... Yeah, I didn't see it as her... It didn't even occur to me that there would be a physical aspect to the relationship. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) You feel bad for me. Sweet summer child. (laughs) Anyway, that's all I wanted to say, is that that conspicuous absence... Of the of the word ex machina. Also, the, this movie is styled specifically as well, right? X underscore machina. Yes, all lowercase, as if it's like a command prompt. In right. a, yeah. 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 So I think the title is really something uh, something important that they want us to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to uh, start wrapping this up. So the way that I always like to do so is by inviting you to tell me what star rating this got for your own personal Netflix profile. As a reminder, the star ratings work as follows: one star means you hated it. Two stars means didn't like it. Three stars means you liked it. Four stars really liked it. And five stars means you loved it. As well, I want to know who your MVP is, who really stood out above the crowd as far as uh, as doing the job and, and making this overall the experience that it was. 
I know I'm the one who always gives all these movies like really high ratings, but I would give this more than five. If if the if the if the Netflix is I really loved it or whatever, I fucking loved this movie. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic, and I'm really sad that I only got to watch it once before we talked about it. I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to watch it again, and I probably have more to say about it at that point. I'm certainly not going to have less to say about it. But anyway, so I gave it a five on my profile, and I'm giving it a five now. Um, for my MVP, I'm going to say the house. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can't do that for every like, single for movie. Fuck's sake. <laughs> you can flip the table. Mortal Kombat didn't have a house. I couldn't say it for that then. What did I even do for Mortal Kombat? I can't even remember at this point. You picked Robin oh, Shu. I picked Liu Kang. Yeah. Okay. No, I stand by that 100%. <laughs> I picked Liu Kang for this movie too. Um, no. Okay. Uh, I picked uh, Poe Dameron for this movie. <laughs> I picked Oscar Isaac for this movie. Okay. But I, with the caveat that um all all three were fantastic and kyoko was fantastic as well all all four actors that we that we saw were incredible the performances were just out of this world but i have to say oscar isaac because he his his presence he he's the one that stuck up out to me the most his presence was you know overwhelming at times i guess and he really sold it in my mind and yeah, and I'm just I'm I the Star Wars was the first movie I saw with him, and I'm really excited to see everything by him now because I've been very impressed with what I've seen. But yeah, with the caveat that everybody's amazing, and the actress who played Ava was just unreal as well. They, I mean, to the point to the point where I actually at some points thought that she really was unreal. Like it was mm-hmm. difficult to actually remember that this is an actress doing this and not an AI. So, mm-hmm. and I think what what is he? The the AI is unbelievable. I think he says that some mm-hmm. point which is such an interesting phrase because it's kind of what does that mean does that mean that you do believe that this is intelligent or that it's unbelievable that this is artificial or that it's unbelievable that this is actual intelligence you know what i mean that's such a loaded yeah phrase when we're getting into the uncanniness i mean kind of the one trajectory that you didn't get into is when you get past uncanny to the point of realism like you're not passing it and going to hyper real like where, where the proximity is like at what point do you actually become a human Right. And that's where it, yeah. But she never does because she kind of exceeds it. She kind of just like skips that step and, yeah, and, and keeps I guess, going and, fast. And, and she'll, and that's the, that's the thing about androids, right? Like they will never, you know, be able to be human because they will never have the limitations that humans have. Mm-hmm. That's what separates, that's the only thing that separates humans from androids when, you know, it used to be that the idea that a soul separates mm-hmm. humans from androids. Um, uh, and then when you get someone to explain what a soul is, it's all things that can be programmed right into that and, and, and have been seemingly mm-hmm. been programmed into that android. But the fact that she is limitless in knowledge and, and, and she has to be limitless in knowledge because the only way that, and you, you put it nicely where you said that she's blending in, she has to blend in with humanity. The only way that she can succeed in blending in is by having this limitless knowledge. So they wouldn't be able to, to curtail that because she doesn't, you know, she needs to draw on that limitless so for me, also a five-star movie. Yeah, fantastic movie. Really enjoyable all the way along. It's playing cat and mouse with you and like staying ahead of you and then being like, ah, you answered the question. that Like like we mentioned at the very top of the show, answering questions that we were asking as if it heard me yelling at the TV. Oh, God. So a lot of fun in that way. The performances were all fantastic. My MVP is going to be, um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but she's not listening, Alicia Vikander, uh, who played Ava. It could be, I mean, Domhnall Gleeson was great like did his job i don't know if i was looking for his accent and that's what was kind of throwing me off that i was like i know that you're i know you're doing an american accent and i'm, <laughs> I'm determined to catch you and uh, like 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 you said everybody was fantastic oscar isaac is just 
I it could even just be being repulsed by him that makes me not want to choose him. Yeah, there's something about bald beard and glasses that is just really repulsive. It could also be that I'm just like, what did you do to my Podameron? Because like, in other things, he's just like like sex embodied. <laughs> but then in this, you're, yeah, it's unsettling. But for her, it was uh, for Alicia Vikander, it was captivating and you know it, it could have been done a lot worse than it was and it, as much as we're in Caleb's eye when we're seeing her and everything like it's her that's pulling off that performance and making us feel that you know like going along for the ride of what she's putting us through because she's acting it, like there's these especially at the end with the big reveal like there are multiple layers to the performance that she's doing because Alicia Vikander is playing Ava who his herself playing a victim in order to appeal to and she's even playing Nathan you know when they have their little interaction like she's playing for the camera and everything like there's there's a lot of nuance to it and it's all it's all fantastic to watch and it's all it's all amazing and she's scary and empowering and just a phenomenal character so my MVP goes to her so uh yeah that's gonna that's gonna wrap up the conversation is there anything that you want to let the world know about or where they can find you yeah they can find me on twitter the world y'all can find me on twitter if you want um and continue this conversation because i'm sure i have many more things to say about it i'm uh at dizen at d-i-e-z-y-n on twitter all right and as mentioned you can find caroline's piece on barbie life in the dream house this was such a good break from life in the dream house I love it, but God, it's so pink. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry. All right, so be sure to check that out. Let us know what you think about that. Let us know what you think about this episode. And uh, thank you so much, Caroline. It's been... uh... It's been painful not having you around, so it's great to have you back and to be having these conversations with oh, you that's again. That's so kind. Thanks, Dylan. Uh-uh. It was I. I missed it, and I'm really glad to be back. See, all nerds aren't bad. <laughs> you just you just have to get it in there at the end, right? I have to have the last word. <laughs> That's everything for this week from the Netflix podcast. If you like what you heard today, head on over to netflixblog.wordpress.com to check out the rest of the Netflix content, like show notes, articles, reviews, as well as a weekly look at what's new on Canadian Netflix. You can also find us on our social media platforms. We're on Facebook as Netflix, Twitter at NetflixPod, or my personal Twitter at Dylan Clark Moore, and we're on Tumblr and SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, there are a few ways you can do so. You can start by heading over to iTunes and subscribing so that each week's episode comes straight to you. While you're there, drop a rating and a review to let us know what you think. You can also contribute directly to Netflix by way of our Patreon campaign. Whether it's for the rewards, like shoutouts on the podcast or customized content, or if you'd just like to see us keep doing what we're doing, you can pledge your support over at Patreon.com. The Netflix podcast is produced and edited by me, Dylan Clark Moore. The theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Speaking of music, the piece you're hearing right now is another track off the album Four City Series, Volume 2. This one is called Know Who You Are by artist World Catcher. I'll be sure to include proper credit and links in today's episode's show notes. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode of the Netflix Podcast, and be sure to join me here next week for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, baby, you ain't streamed nothing yet. <laughs>